Hello, you are listening to AIMS Audio Waves, a shortcast brought to you by AIMS, where we discuss the latest topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics in short, easy to listen to episodes, ideal for listening to on the go. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a registered dietitian running Dietitian UK, a private practice and consultancy business. I'm also a media dietitian and author to two books, The Dash Diet and The Complete Low FODMAP Diet Plan, and I am your host. Today, we're joined by Joanna Injor, a registered dietitian with over 19 years experience in the NHS, charity and private sector. She currently works at Macmillan Cancer Support and is the owner of JI Nutrition, a private practice providing specialist support to cancer patients during and after treatment. Joanna, it's so wonderful to welcome you to our shortcast. It's lovely to speak to you today. How are you doing? Great. Thanks very much, Priya. I'm really looking forward to joining you today. Great topic. Wonderful. I agree. Amazing topics. We're exploring quite a difficult and sensitive topic today about how to provide effective nutritional support for patients with cancer. As dietitians, it's likely we've all come across many diets which have claimed to be beneficial for certain patient groups that have little or no evidence base behind them. So Joanna, I'm really keen to ask you, what are the most common cancer diet myths that you think patients come across? Great. That's a great question to kick us off. There are so many diets, actually, and it often feels like there are more and more each day. But the main myths that I hear about are sugar feeding cancer. This is such a big misconception that's out there. And the idea comes from the thought that cancer cells use sugar as their energy source. So if you limit maybe their sugar in your diet, you might limit cancer growth. But this is strictly not true. And we know that sugar in the form of carbohydrates is the most foods. We can't actually restrict everything. Hmm. Yeah. And another common one is restricting dairy. And this is related to the myth about hormones being in milk, which can cause cancer. But actually, there's not much evidence for this. And there is actually evidence that dairy is thought to be protective against breast cancer, particularly. So not something to restrict. I've heard that one. And I think that's a really interesting Mm. one that something that can actually be beneficial has got, you know, this misinformation out there around it actually being harmful. Yeah. And and, and as we know, dairy is is such a good source of nutrients, of calcium, of protein. So actually, it's a really good one to be aware of not restricting. Mm. Yeah. um, Another couple of ones that are quite popular is about soya, soy products, particularly the misconception about it should be avoided in breast cancer patients. And this comes from the idea about because soy products contain isoflavonoids, which have a similar sort of chemical structure to estrogen. So there's this misconception that this could encourage the growth of cancer cells. But actually, plant-based isoflavonoids have a much weaker effect in the body and they're quite safe to eat in food. And there is quite a lot of epidemiological studies showing that people who have soy in their diet sort of at a young age is actually protective against some cancers. So again, another one to be aware of. And there are quite a few other ones. So I'll just touch on a couple of others. The alkaline diet is another one. I think that props up in other types of fatty diets. And this is all about maybe eating alkaline-based foods to try and change the pH of your blood to help deter maybe the growth of cancer cells. But our bodies are really very good at controlling our blood pH and you can't really control your change your pH by eating certain foods so they're the kind of the common ones that I hear about a lot and then also about supplements so taking lots of supplements if you have cancer and actually supplements are not needed unless there is a sort of 
you know, clear deficiency of something. And actually high, you know, mega doses of certain supplements can be quite dangerous and interfere with treatments as well. So they're the kind of the common ones, really. Thank you so much for that overview. And I think it's something that we really need to be clear about as dietitians, isn't it? That we're giving out the right information and that we're able to come against this misinformation and um, have that education to be able to share with people. So thank you so much for that. Joanna, from your own clinical experience, how can healthcare professionals and dietitians best support patients who want to follow restrictive diets whilst sensitively acknowledging their preferences. So if you've got a patient on a restrictive diet, how would you approach that? I think it's really important to understand maybe why patients are making that decision to explore sort of an alternative diet. Because I think when patients are undergoing cancer treatment, people are undergoing cancer treatment, nutrition can feel like maybe the only thing they have control over. So, you know, for some people, diet is like the only maybe opportunity to kind of positively influence their treatment and take charge of what's happening to them. So I think it's really important to kind of understand that from the beginning. It's a really tricky scenario because we need to understand, obviously, first of all, that kind of viewpoint of the patient is coming from. And I think we need to, first of all, provide really empathy and understanding as to why they're kind of exploring this alternative route. Because we really want our patients to be open and honest with us because that will enable us to be able to find out really what they're following, what diet they're using or what kind of restrictions they're following, because we want to be able to support them safely. And that's really important. So if you can, I think it's really good to explore the reasons, as I said, why they're making this choice. You know, what's driving this? Is it is it fear? Is it having that lack of sense of control that they're missing? And also, if we then kind of step in really and sort of try and take away that sense of control it might cause them a lot of anxiety and stress so exploring those wider issues as to why they're following this might be helpful because it might indicate Mm. whether they need that kind of additional support maybe from a counsellor or a psychologist to manage those wider issues and then of course we know before cancer treatments and diagnosis patients have their own kind of beliefs about food and nutrition and some people may have sort of slightly disordered eating or other eating issues and and so maybe when something like a cancer diagnosis happens those issues are brought in so it's it's kind of getting that full history for patients mm-hmm. you know we want to really develop that really detailed picture of why the patient is choosing this so that we can do that kind of detailed directory assessment to see what exactly food choices they're following you know we want to try and assess whether ultimately whether these choices that they're making is going to be a detriment to their treatment because we know our cancer patients are at high risk of unintentional weight loss or malnutrition due to the treatment or the cancer itself so we want to make sure that anything they're following doesn't kind of exasperate this or exasperate any treatment side effects like nausea or diarrhea yeah yeah so I think our role really then is thinking about what we do is to provide that kind of evidence-based education. We want to be able to provide the patients with the facts about what they should be choosing, maybe their nutritional requirements, and work with them so that they can see whether, you know, what they're choosing, whether that kind of meets that, because we ultimately want to give them that education so that they can make that informed decision themselves about, you know, the choices that they're making. And we want to, you know, ultimately our role is to ensure like nutritional adequacy and safety, but we still need, it still needs to be coming from that patient-centred approach. I really love that. I love that 
that actually our role in amongst all of the other information that they might be reading online and that they might be getting from other health professionals is one of empathy and understanding and building that relationship of trust so that they feel they can open up and share the restrictions that they might be putting on themselves or the extra supplements they might be taking that Mm -hmm. perhaps they know might not be looked upon as possibly the right way to be doing things, but they're trying to help themselves, aren't they? Mm -hmm. They're trying to find a way through. So I love that fact that you've kind of said, you know, as dietitians, we need to be sharing the education, but doing it from that place of understanding and empathy. That's right. I think that's really important because that really does build that good rapport with the patient. You know, it's much safer to be able to work with a patient slowly on this rather than them following it on their own. You know, we want to be able to, it it may be like initially there's a lot of shock about diagnosis. There's that kind of shock immediate reaction to trying to do something, the need to want to change and do something positive. But as things kind of settle down, they might experience side effects of treatment. So we want to be able to be there and allow them to kind of maybe change their mind if they want to, but just so that they've got that choice because follow-up is so important for these patients. And what we don't want them to do is to feel not confident with being able to speak openly with us because we want to follow them up and, you know, so that we can check and spot for any, you know, adverse signs or changes so that we can just help and support them through their decision. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Joanna, for talking and taking us through the many aspects to consider when providing appropriate and safe nutritional support to patients with cancer. I think you've really highlighted the importance of open and honest communication with our patients, which I'm sure will be a huge support for dietitians to sensitively navigate these discussions. So thank you so much for everything you've shared and for coming on today. Great. My pleasure. Thank you. And I hope to everyone who's listening that you will join us again very soon for our next shortcast episode, where we'll be bringing you more discussions from specialist dietitians. Thank you.